0: Welcome to episode 65 of the process Do the work
1: to live my life i had to learn my lessons i had to keep that smile but deep inside i'm stressing trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression it's time to tighten up i put my pride down and pick that
0: bible up welcome to episode 65 of the process i am amante martin today we have miss alante whitmore on the podcast welcome to the podcast Alante
1: thank you thanks for having me i'm excited about this conversation
0: hey thanks for joining us can you tell the listeners where you're from
1: sure i am a proud detroit native 313
0: <laughs> yes shout out to uh, detroit worldwide podcast exactly. and marquise taylor uh, what was it like growing up in the d for you
1: uh, I loved it. Okay, so I guess I should start with a caveat of like, I'm from Detroit, but I wasn't born there. So my mom had me when she was in college at Michigan State. So we actually lived in Lansing until I was eight, and then I moved to Detroit. I typically don't tell people that because <laughs> it's embarrassing. But uh, yeah, no, so I moved to Detroit when I was eight. Um, prior to that, my mom, my grandparents paid for me to go to private school when I was living in Lansing, um, but we moved when my grandmother passed away and then when she passed away, like, nobody's paying for private school. So I actually went from private school in Lansing in a mostly white city where I was at like a K through 12 school and there were like five black kids to a all-black classroom in Detroit public school system, uh, and my mom, uh, couldn't find a job, so I spent like, eight months living with one of my grandma's church friends until my mama could find a job in Detroit. So I pretty much moved to Lance Detroit on my own. Uh, I mean, of course, with like the help of my, my grandmother's friend, uh, like giving me a place to stay and taking up from school and stuff. But it wasn't quite the transition. Like wow. I was a super proper speaking, like... I mean, I'm still very sensitive, but I was, like, super soft, like, when I got to uh, Detroit. Um, And I just stuck out, like, a sore thumb, honestly, like, oh, man. But I ultimately started to fit in, and I love Detroit in a way um, that's, like, crazy, of course. You know, like, that's something me and Marquise have in common. But um, I definitely left Detroit when I graduated from high school, like ready to go and just wanting something different. But I think leaving is what made me appreciate it so much. You know, now that I'm like in my early thirties, like Detroit is home. I love it. Um, there's a beautiful thing about Detroit. You know, I grew up and it was all black. Uh, and I just really feel like I was exposed to so many amazing black folks and us just across, across just the range you know Mm -hmm. from just a regular regular black folk you know to people in positions of power and so i think uh detroit is special for that and and so i really i really love it
0: wow that's awesome i want to talk a little bit more about that transition you know looking back at it did it affect you academically in any way or
1: uh probably me trying to like dumb it down because i like it's probably what happened (laughs) um honestly just trying to find a way to fit in. And um otherwise no. Like I think that I had some really great teachers pretty much my entire time. My mom has always been um someone who was very like intentional about where I was going to school, even after like my grandparents stopped paying for you know, they weren't my grandmother was no longer alive, so therefore couldn't pay for me to go to private school. Um, you know, she found the best public school, you know what I mean? She found opportunities and other ways to support my education and supplement my education in DPS. And so I feel like I didn't lack by going to DPS by any means.
0: So you was just, you and your mom, once y'all moved to Detroit. um... It's
1: been me and my mom with a whole, time <laughs> okay okay <laughs> yeah so my mom um and my father divorced when i was five weeks old mm-hmm. i have never met him and so um it's been me and Lisa. i call her lisa girl so my, i i call her lovingly lisa girl so it's been me and lisa girl the whole time my mom had me like i said when she was in college she was like 20 she her birthday is a week before mine so she turned she was a fresh 23 when i was born so she was Boy. 22 essentially um and so now like she's definitely like more of my sister and friend you know like definitely uh shows up as mom every now and then but i feel like we kind of grew up together a bit mm-hmm. uh
0: yeah i, I want to ask because my mom she had me around 19 mm-hmm. uh, and I know, you know, the struggles of, of being a young a young mother like that, you know, and trying to raise a child. You know, what was the major hurdles or obstacles that you two had to overcome in terms of growing up in Detroit?
1: Sure. Oh, OK. It was a lot. So my mom, when she had me, she wasn't she she I believe she dropped out uh, at Michigan State. For like a year or so um and then my grandparents actually like forced her to go back to lansing to finish her degree um and then i stayed with them until i was like two my mama came back and was like no i'm a raiser Uh, because i definitely my grandparents had already raised three of their grandchildren so i felt like they just felt like i was gonna be the fourth one they were gonna have to raise my mom was like really adamant about raising me Mm -hmm. uh however when i came back when she came back and got me like my mom we lived at Michigan State like in the family housing like on campus and my mom got her bachelor's degree when I was eight so she spent you know a large chunk of my time uh uh, like and you know not necessarily underemployed, but in low, low income employment, kind of like my mom worked at a, uh, kind of assistant living apartments uh, during the day. And at night she cleaned Greyhound buses. Like that was our time, there was was a time in Detroit, I mean, sorry, in Lansing that she was doing that. And then um, she got a job as a secretary for a senator. And so she did that for quite a while before she moved back, before we moved to Detroit. So in Detroit is when she really took off career-wise. This is why we moved um, and she started as secretary, but now my mom is like literally the, uh, what is she, what's her new job? She just got this job like a year ago. She runs the uh, aging department for the whole County of Wayne and County of Wayne is like top 20 largest counties in the country. Wow. So um, she made some leaps and bounds coming to Detroit, and, you know, I really, like, grew up with us moving from, like, low income to, you know, middle middle class, um, and just kind of the social capital that she has done her best to leverage at every point of the way um, has really been something I'm really proud of her for, so... I feel like I kind of
0: didn't answer your question. <laughs> nah, you answered. I was, I, was, <laughs> I, I was gonna say this. This is a this is about you, but I want to follow yeah. up on that question because, um, you know, what did you learn from your mom? You know, seeing her crying from the bottom and. Her grit and tenacity yeah. just to go after it you know so what did you learn from that
1: man I, I really believe that is why i'm so persistent like i i'm i'm by no means um and i didn't share it's like i'm, I'm in grad school and i'll get my phd i'm by no means a perfect graduate student like honestly i would describe myself as mediocre at best however um I really know I'm going to stay, I'm going to stick with it. (laughs) I'm going to stick with it and I'm going to finish this program. And I think that my mom just really was an example of like just persistence um, in in a lot of different ways, especially with her. Like there have been times in her career where people have used education against her, like, oh, we can't hire you because you don't have this and that degree. And she was like, that'll never happen to me again. And she went and got a master's, you know, um, also just like seeing more for yourself I think my mother has always seen more for herself and um I carry that with me uh quite often so I think those are the things I really pick up kind of overwhelmingly and then it's a pivot not a pivot but like something kind of related my mom is like totally involved in the community which is why I think that I love to pour into people and to be like a connector and someone that's of the community because I was like always around that growing up with her.
0: So just thinking about, you know, going, growing up in Detroit, going through the high school public system in, in Detroit, you know, why A&T? Why did you choose to be an Aggie? Yeah. And how was that experience?
1: Ah, I love A&T so much. So, um, <laughs> what happened? So... A couple of things happened. The year that I graduated from high school was the year in the state of Michigan that they uh, dissolved affirmative action. So that means uh, that students couldn't get scholarships for race, you know, or like being black or Latinx or anything like that. Um, so a lot of those scholarships transition to low income my mom got married when i was 16 16 going on 17 and so we were no longer considered low income once they you know once that household uh joined and by the way my mom had been making again leaps and bounds at this point in her career but now that there's two you know two income generating folks salary folks in the household like i was no longer low income my mama was just super turned off, and she had a terrible experience at Michigan State. Um, she, like, always felt like she was never treated right. She treated like a number, not like a person. And there were times when they would, like, kick her out of class because she had me. You know, like, she just really, really had a bad time at, um, at Michigan State. Uh, and so I was able to, like, all this is going on and, sorry, and Detroit was, the straight got hit by the recession before everybody else did in 2007. So, a lot of folks were, like, losing jobs and stuff, so all this kind of was at play in the background, and My mom said I could pick one out-of-state school to visit Um, because we, of course, did the Michigan, Michigan State, um, and then actually a school called Kettering University. It's, like, specifically for engineering and business in Flint. Um, And that's where I – it was either Kettering or A&T. But I wanted to visit Tennessee State, and she just, like, kept pushing, like, no, I don't (laughs) want you to go there. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I was like, well, let's visit A&T because I played volleyball in high school, and the coach – the coach and the assistant coach were from Michigan. The assistant coach went to Renaissance, was like a rival high school um, at in Detroit of Cass, where I went. And then the head coach, she used to play on the um, AAU, AAU team or travel team that I was currently on. So my coach was like, oh, actually, you know, it's an alum down at a t You should go down there and visit. So we visited, both of us, my mom and I fell in love, like, oh my gosh, everyone's so nice, you know, the Southern hospitality. Um, and then, you know, the fact that a t had a great engineering program was definitely appealing. Um, and for me, it was nice and far away from home. So all of those things happened, and that is how I got down to a and my stepdad, my cousin Jarrell, was uh, two years ahead of me playing baseball down there. So it was a really good fit. Like, I wasn't completely by myself. There were a couple, a few of us from cast going down there, but not like nothing crazy. Like, it was like three or four of us. And there were other Detroit kids in engineering at A&T. So I loved it. We went, and and then July 1st, 2007, I was on the way down for a volleyball camp for, for a preseason camp. And man, the best experience I never I don't regret picking A and T for nothing. That was the best decision I think I made at 18. Like I love A T. Wow.
0: Yeah. and T. See where I'm from, it's either fam you or Howard. Understood. <laughs> but A T, you know, I know a lot of Aggie. Shout out to uh my homie uh Tori Crops. Dr. Crops, I'm sorry, Dr. Crops. Okay, Dr.
1: Crops.
0: Yeah, she, she's an Aggie. But uh, how was that transition from Detroit? to now you in, you know, what is it, Greensboro, North Carolina? Yeah. How was that transition?
1: Oh, my gosh. It was a lot because Detroiters, we are – there's a warmness to us but it is not immediate. There's something I, I call it the Detroit disposition. <laughs> it's like a little distant, but once like we're comfortable or you're or we're hosting you or super warm. Um, and so I'll never forget when my mom and my stepdad and I got down to drop me off, someone like offered to help us take our stuff up the stairs and we were like, no, thank you. Like, who are you? No, like you're <laughs> not about to rob us, you know, just very, very Detroit uh and it was just so hot (laughs) if I'm being honest like yo it was hot but um otherwise the transition was hard right like um I moved really far away I decided because I wanted to have like whatever was closest to like a regular college student's experience I didn't stay in the student athlete dorm I stayed like in the regular dorms with non-athlete students um so the people I kind of made those first connections with I didn't see every day like or at least after practice and stuff uh and I think in my dorm because I was also in the cheap dorm because we were on a budget I think I was like the only person from Detroit like my other friends from Detroit were in different dorms right like across campus and stuff so I was just I was very much so by myself um, and like I had this roommate who I love. Shout out to Tina. She, but she had a cousin who was at ANZ. So she was like never in the dorm. So I was pretty much like, dang, the person, my roommate, I was like, get to know you and bond. And she's like, never here. <laughs> so uh, shout out to Joy, who lived across the dorm, across the ketty corner. Like we shared a bathroom, but we all had the different dorms. She came in because I was crying, like, do you want to go to the calf tomorrow together? And it was like, oh, thank God somebody finally asked me to have lunch, you know? And so uh, we've been friends ever since. Um and that is when I think things started to really take off. Just like kinda of finding my own little group that it took a while as it does. Um that part was probably the hardest transition. And then I was like high key a I was I, I was a pretty like healthy high schooler like I was very much so into my diet and like into my nutrition and I realized I was so freaking expensive like oh my god like how am I gonna take care of me this is ridiculous so (laughs) there were transitions of just making like I cannot afford myself (laughs) I need to chill um or I need to find a job which I actually end up doing but like once i like had the job and you know had my little crew which this all happened like in my first semester like i and and then of course still playing volleyball and meeting people through volleyball through sports i um i feel like i really found my place uh and i was I, i loved it like i had a lot of great friends from all kind of different bubbles of my of my experience like athletes engineering being greek um you know just kind of being like somebody just like kind of out and about a bit not too crazy but out and about like so I I really I really feel like I had a well-rounded experience.
0: Wow so how did you manage all that all of that during your first semester you know being a student athlete and engineering?
1: I don't know, I was 18, right? All this energy, so. <laughs> I will never forget, there was this club called Jabs, and Thursday night was the best night to go. So I would, I had 5 a.m. practice every day, and then followed by, 5 a.m. practice, followed by a workout. Then I had 8 a.m. class, engineers always have freaking 8 a.m. classes. And then we had two a day, so I think by like three, I was back at the gym. Um, And then I do homework, eat, Thursday nights, It's uh, eight nine o'clock. My cousin, uh, my cousin's friend had a car. He come get me and my friends. He takes us out. I get home. When I got home from the club, I do my homework before practice started because practice was in three hours. So that was pretty much how I did it. And then I started working, and I worked like three days a week. So I just kind of. Those days, I just did my work beforehand or while I was there. Um, oh, and I had freaking study hall because I was student-athlete. So that's when I would do my work, too. Like, those two or three times a week that we had to meet in the study hall, I got things done. But it was not easy. But I was young, so I didn't care. I just was, like, never sleeping.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> man. I wish I was that organized, that young. Shit, I almost flunked out of undergrad. But <laughs> uh, so,
1: Look, it, I had some ugly moments, but I am staying. <laughs>
0: So, why, like, what made you, what, when did you know you wanted to pursue a career, you know, a grad career? uh, Yeah. And, and, you know, how did you prepare for that?
1: So, so about that almost flunking, right? The semester, uh, I'm not saying these are the same thing, but I crossed spring 2019, I mean, 2009, excuse me. And I had the lowest GPA of my entire academic career in spring 2009. And so I had to retake all my classes for that particular semester and my mom, yeah yeah my mom was not happy and uh my mom was like, "I already paid for these classes, so I'm not paying for them again." You need to go up in there, tell them to give you some money because I'm not paying for it. I'm like, I respect that, so I went in there, snot nose, like, "I need some money for these classes, and I don't have no money for the summer." <laughs> and I had a really great advisor, shout out to Shabazi, and he gave me a he paid for my summer classes to retake the classes I just took, and he uh, gave me a research assistantship. Uh, I was an undergrad research assistant and. I spent the summer working on a tomato farm, uh, building irrigation systems half the time. And the other half of my time was spent um, actually taking cattails and converting them into biofuel, which I really thought was interesting. I really liked. And so I asked during the summer, like, hey this is like super cool how do you do this like what is that like like how what kind of career does the one have to do research and someone's like you get the phd and i promise you say like that was the pivot for me because up until that point i really wasn't into engineering like that my mom wanted me to be an engineer my whole life so it was kind of like a bit of like doing what she wanted mixed with that was where I got a scholarship. Like, um, cause I actually was originally a math major, but I didn't get a scholarship in math. I got a scholarship in biological engineering. So my mom's like, that's what you're going to take. And that's what you're going to study. And, and that's what happened. And that really flipped the switch for me. Like, I knew then that I really enjoyed research. I knew that, I realized after I did some Googles, I need to have a better GPA, <laughs> and that that was, I mean, that really was the pivot after failing those classes.
0: I, th- I think you touched on something, I don't know, probably not knowingly, but you touched on mm-hmm. something powerful is that sometimes in your failures, you find your strength, you find, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, what you want to do, and you could have just failed and you know kept it pushing, but yeah. by you going back to retake those classes, you kind of found your what you want to do, your why basically. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of wild.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is wild, you know. So how was that grad school application process? What were your options? Where did you end up going?
1: Sure, so um, I did, t- I spent one summer, because I kept reading, like, got yeah, I have a summer REU, a research experience for undergraduates, and so I did a summer REU at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign under uh, another a alum, Dr. Henderson, shout out to him, and um, I spent the summer there doing work, and it was cool. I didn't like Champagne, but it was fine, so I did that, and Dr. Henderson, like, invited Got my application from the rejection pool for the summer REU and invited me um, to NanoSIMS, which is like a, it was a partnered kind of NSF program, research center that was at Illinois that A&T was a part of, so... I went there for the summer, got a lot of like great skills and came back like, all right, I'm going to apply to Illinois because I already have a connection there. And my advisor literally asked my mom the day I was leaving, has Alante thought about coming here for for grad school. And my mom was like, uh, I don't think this is on her radar. And like he made like a case for me to do Illinois. So I applied to Illinois. My homeboy Maurice was at uh, University of Pennsylvania. No, he's at Penn State doing his master's um, in bio which was my, my background. And my advisor had went to Penn State. So I was like, okay, I'll apply there. And I applied to Carnegie Mellon, actually, to the Engineering and Public Policy Program, which I'm in now, but got uh, rejected back in 2012. Cool. So, yeah, yeah. So um, Penn State, I didn't hear back from, or, you know, I didn't get in there. I didn't get into the Carnegie Mellon. Well, they accepted me into their self-funded master's program which i wasn't doing because i got a full ride for a master's and phd to university of illinois so i went where the money was oh yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened yeah
0: so transitioning into grad school you know mm-hmm. we have those aha moments or we have those moments where we're like yeah that's what i want to do but how did you settle into grad school and you know
1: Work your way around that. Oof. Oh, no, I didn't. Okay. I struggled. The classes I can handle, like um, academically, I didn't necessarily struggle. Like it was rigorous, but grad school is rigorous, right? Like that really wasn't um, anything new. Like that didn't feel like the reason I was flailing. The reason that I struggled, like um, I said, I'm from Detroit. I went to A&T. It had been, you know, at that point, like I don't know, like 20, 20- no let me i'm trying to do the math real quick like maybe 15 to 17-ish years since i had really like been a token black person in a space mm. like that just was very foreign to me at that point like my high school was 98 black a and t like my program actually was like relatively diverse um but when I wasn't in my department office or my building, you know, I was still like surrounded by black folk. And so being the token was I don't like that. I don't I don't believe in the concept of the exceptional Negro. I think that that is problematic. And so I was really uncomfortable. Um while I was at Illinois, I was the only black person in the program. And I think I would have been like the second or third black woman to get her PhD in that particular department. And the other woman that I knew went to A&T too and went to the same department as me. And it was like in the 90s. So I was just, I just struggled. I didn't understand showing up to like the coffee breaks on Friday and all that stuff. I just didn't do those things. And so I just didn't have Great relationships with um, the people in power, and also like even my colleagues, people in my cohort, and I just I hated it. I was miserable.
0: You know, for those who don't know, who haven't experienced probably that transition from HBCU to PWI, or you know, haven't had that experience before, you know, what what was it like being that token person?
1: Yeah. Um, to me, it's just very it's very uncomfortable, and I think the particular place that I was at um, didn't really know how to navigate even me being in the space, you know? Like, I think that... I, I I'm trying to think of the words to like articulate how I felt beyond miserable <laughs> because like, and don't get it twisted. Like there were other black graduate students like outside of my department that were amazing. Like then I still talk to this day and that are part of my support system, part of my, you know, family essentially. But when I was in my building, like I just like hated it. Um, and I, it was the idea, there were like a lot of, uh, microaggressions that I dealt with at that particular department, there were a lot of um, explicit racism that I dealt with in that department. Like, questions like, why didn't you, like, I go to a social event, why didn't you bring fried okra? What? Like, it's a pizza Mm -hmm. party, why would I bring fried okra? I mean, and this is like, what happened? You know, or like, oh my gosh, you're so tan, I can't see you in the hallway. Like, these things happened. And because I um, I just wasn't used to that. Like I'm around black folk all day. They don't make these comments, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I didn't really know how to respond. And I didn't know how to, um, at that time, I didn't know how to defend myself in a professional way from what was going on or, or a professional correction. I had, I did not not have that that skill set and I didn't know that I needed it. And I don't think anyone even at a t thought that I would need it or thought to like bring that up as like a skill set. Like it's a skill set to navigate um, academia specifically in my opinion, at least that's the way that I think of it. And so I think dealing with those things and then not knowing how to defend myself or how to handle them or manage them was even made me feel even worse you know like it makes you feel even worse and you can't even defend yourself you don't even know what to say and i was 22 23 like i was young and so i I extend myself grace now but i mean that really is the type of thing for me that can break my spirit and so i i left that program with my masters and i'll never forget when i defended like I my mom came and I literally like once they told me I defended and like everybody left except for like my close friends I was in her lap bawling because I was so I had been holding on to trying to make it to that point you know yeah. that I and I was so unhappy and I was able to finally release that um, when I when I defended my my master's thesis. Wow. Yeah.
0: So once you left and you apply to uh, you know your PhD programs, you know what went into your mind in terms of thinking about am I going into a similar situation? So I I
1: actually took I took three years off. I took three years off. I moved to Detroit and I worked Mm -hmm. Um, because my like I said I really felt like my spirit had been broken a bit. Like I was really, really um, unhappy and I had to build myself back up. And so I actually had a great opportunity working in Detroit as the supervisor for the McNair Scholar Program. So I literally was working with black and you know, Latinx and um, women or low income or first generation students all day preparing them for graduate school. That was like my literal job, right? And so um, that gave me a chance to, I think, do some healing in the way of like empowering others, which like for me has always been the way that I try to use like my bad experiences to like empower other people or like help them not to make the, deal with the same things I've dealt with. And so um, it was during my time in Detroit and like literally I sent students from Wayne State to, um, and and for people who aren't familiar, Wayne State is like, it's it's a great school. It's a great school. It's not perceived that way all the time in comparison to Michigan, say, a university in Michigan. So just to provide some context, so I'm sending students from Wayne State to Michigan, Full rides, Purdue, Princeton. Um, one of my students, my student who went to Princeton, he was one of two people they admitted into the PhD program that year, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was excellent on his own, but like, that, I was so proud, like, I was so proud. And so, I'm over here sending students off to PhD programs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my God, I want to get a PhD. Like, it, it, it kind of, that that, uh, that feeling never left, that love for research never left. I just needed, I think, some time to, again, heal from what happened and, and gain the skills to navigate this space and to learn what I needed to learn. Um, so that I could be, I think, just better prepared for the PhD. And so coming into CMU, also, I, was, I knew what questions to ask, to see their responses to stuff. Um, I knew what type of energy to check for, because I'm definitely like an energy person, like how I feel when I'm talking to somebody, what they're saying to me. Um, and I, I feel like I had a great, I have a great advisor um, who, um, he's a white man. Like all, I have three advisors, they're all white men. And, but they're not, I, I, I didn't have that same concern that I had um, going into my master's program or leaving my master's program Rather, I knew what to look out for too. So I took all that, exp- all that experience to, uh, to CMU and to make sure that I was going to be in a place where I knew I could get my PhD.
0: Well, I want to, before we jump into the PhD program, sure. I want to ask, you know, what advice could you give to someone stuck in that situation? Like it, like, like you were when you got your masters, and yeah. what would you say the the importance of healing is?
1: Mm, okay, so first, my advice is like you don't have to be miserable. I think. That is one thing, again, now that I'm older, I'm so grateful that I didn't like force myself to just push through and get my PhD at that school. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause even my mom my mom and I have had this conversation more than once uh, since then. Cause I remember she kept saying, just hold your breath, just hold your breath. And I'm like, I cannot hold my breath for five or six years. Yeah. I can't. And I think that sometimes we feel like, it's worth it right that the goal is so worth it to the point of breaking your spirit and I think if you when you start feeling like your spirit is getting broken you have to check what's going on around you um that is that is something that I I think um I don't I didn't have that type of like I didn't I wasn't able to articulate that when it was happening but I realized like I knew that inside of me like I don't have to be this miserable right Mm -hmm. I understand graduate school is hard but you don't have to be like I mean I was effing miserable Again, I think this is more subconscious. <laughs> don't don't credit this to like some very wildly like in touch Alante because I also <laughs> ran out of I also ran out of funding, so that's also why I left. It was like I ran out of funding. I applied for a bunch of fellowships. I didn't get any of them, and I was like, I'll take this sign to leave. Um, but I think that it's so funny. I was talking to someone today, and I think that we can sometimes only focus on, like, certain parts of our lives uh, and, and moving them forward, be it, like, getting in a relationship or professionally, you know, your personal professional. But a part of that personal is really, like, taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think we sometimes ignore that. My time in Detroit was not... Um, so it wasn't, I, I did things like I had a great job, but my job wasn't very demanding um, and I loved it. And then I did like a, I had like a pop-up brunch that I did like once a month with my business partner. But beyond that, like I got to really just like chill out. And I, I now feel like that was a time for me to really focus on myself, focus on just like getting back to ground zero. Um, and I think that we have to, Realize there are seasons in our life that are also just for healing, or just for you know, sometimes it is about the grind, sometimes it is about you know, the your maybe your romantic life or your you know, building a family. But I think, um, many of us forget about the time to like take care of ourselves and do healing from like be it a traumatic graduate school experience or child trauma that's something i'm working through honestly right now as i'm through my phd It's like i've really taken some time to like work through that um or focus on getting working through that rather and and so i just want to say like leave space for those seasons too and recognize them and really embrace them
0: I want to ask, you know, transitioning into your PhD program. Yeah. And starting uh, Black and grad School, you know, how's that process been? What was your mission? You know, How did you take your idea and turn it into what it is today?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, I, I got into Carnegie Mellon, into my, the program I wanted to do this entire time is engineering and public policy program. Um, and I'm, I'm in a joint PhD. So I also am in civil and environmental engineering as well the transition i really wanted to like put my best foot forward so like i made sure i emailed my advisor like in may like hey what do i need to read this summer what what skills should i be coming in with you know he's like oh have a great summer you know chill out nah (laughs) i should have emailed another grad student honestly emailed a grad student like what school what skills do you think i need before i you know i come in um and i still like made sure i did like a little bit of reading but i i i wanted to like put my best foot forward and um, I was just ready to try again. I was definitely nervous, but I wasn't nervous because, like, I was scared the same thing was going to happen. It was more just like, this is a major undertaking, getting a Ph.D. Like, whoa. Um, and, and I was leaving uh, caregiving. Like, I was caring for my grandfather, who, who was a quadriplegic. And so, like, and we were very, very close. Like, we talked every Friday since I went to A&T, okay? So, 2007, we talked every Friday until 2019. Whoa. Every Friday. And so, and then when he moved to Detroit, um, which was in 20. 16 i woke up every morning before work and fed him breakfast and when i say fed him spooned him breakfast brushed his teeth washed his face and then um then i went to work he was in a nursing home but like he would like that was that's like my favorite human on earth and so um he leaving him was very hard too and so i feel like i just kind of left with I got to take care of business so that I can go home and take care of my granddad when when I can. And I need to like, just, we're here, I've, I've made a salary now. I know what it's like to have a job and have a life. Okay, I want to get back to this as soon as possible. <laughs> like, that is like the focus that I kind of had and, and still have. It's like, I just want to get back to having a normal life as soon as possible. Um, so that was my mindset. And then in the spirit of like having such a bad experience with, at my master's, and always wishing someone pulled me aside, like, hey girl, this might happen, that might happen, that might happen. Here's some ways, do you, here's some strategies you can use to navigate them. I decided to start a podcast. Like, I, I, it wasn't super deep. It was just like, I wish someone pulled me aside. Mm. And that's how Black and Grass School got started. I started recording the day I went to orientation.
0: How have you manifested, you know, that idea? How has it grown?
1: Who, uh, in a lot of different ways. So, um, Black and is a School is a mostly weekly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also have a virtual summit that I host every year. So this, I've done it three times now. And that has been like something that I've really enjoyed. And, it, and it's placed at the end of the school year. So it's, it's like the the second week of May, or second or third week of May, right before Memorial Day. And the idea is that, again, you can use the summer before you start your graduate program to really get yourself in a better place um, and be prepared so you're not overwhelmed by Graduate school because graduate school can be very overwhelming, and I think that is something I've really enjoyed. The first conference had a hundred people sign up. Um, the second one had three hundred. This year we got a thousand. Like that has been like amazing as far as growth. Um, and then <clears throat> I also have like a community that I serve. We get together every week to work together, like the co- we co work virtually. That has been great. I met a lot of amazing women as a result of that. And then the digital community, right? Like that's how we met. I met Marquise because I went live with someone that he knew who I think I met—I don't even know how I met day. I think we just started talking on Instagram, and so then I met Marquise, and then you know through Marquise I met you, and so like the amazing uh, digital—I just call like a digital community or virtual community that I that I um, have been able to tap into is something that I really really appreciate as well. So I feel like those are like the major uh, blooms of Black and Grass School.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I wanna I wanna wanna kind of take a step back at the big look at the big picture and ask you know, through your personal experiences and educational experiences, um, what would you, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Who, okay, what? how young we talking? What What age? <laughs> hey, well, Which self? so
0: if you want to break it up into a couple selves.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh man, what would I say to my child? Chi- like, I really could, like childhood self, it would just be like, um, you are in the way. Um, I spent a lot of time at other people's houses. My mom was always working, which is fine. You know, like she was trying to, you know, put food on the table for us. Um, But as a result, I think that I always kind of like, felt like I was in the way. Um, And so like, and no longer feeling that way. Um, And like, I would tell like my younger self that. And then like high school stuff, I was a hot mess in high school. So I would tell my high school stuff to go to geometry class because I suck at geometry to this day and I'm freaking 31 because I skipped the entire semester. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. But beyond that, like I think high school, like I was, you know, I was mostly focused in volleyball. Like it was, I would just tell myself to like embrace volleyball all the way. It was like, a really great way to keep me focused. Um, as a student because i that was my that was my passion when i was in high school and then college self i would actually tell her to relax a bit i think i as an engineer also like our minds are very like compartmentalized a little rigid a bit and so i wish i was a little bit more flexible i like really had this like perfectly planned out life i have totally veered off from that you know which is fine and I'm very happy with, with, with what's going on now in my life but I just wish that I had had been open the whole time right um and then masters master self oh I would tell her no it's not you it's this place <laughs> it is not you because um, I was definitely always i felt i spent that like the first year after my ph after my masters excuse me probably the first two years just feeling like it was me like i just couldn't cut it i couldn't hack at like this this ridiculously rigorous experience but like being at another school and realizing i was just in an environment that was not conducive for me it might work for other people but it didn't work for me and that's okay um are the lessons i would tell or advice i would give to like myself in these different phases.
0: Wow, awesome. I never thought about it in phases like that, but that's interesting. I want to ask, you know, this, this podcast is called The Process Podcast. What does mm-hmm. trusting the process mean to you?
1: Ooh, you know, it's something I'm still working on. In my life, I think it is being flexible or viewing things as practice I think like I'd say when I came into 30 like uh, my grandfather ended up dying last year and so going to my 30th birthday I turned I turned 30 like three months after he passed uh it was hard it was like not like the happiest um because I just really missed him and I was still like dealing with the grief of, of losing him and so A lot of things happened um, from different types of relationships, from friendships, from family. I mean, there's a lot of just like shifts, I think, as the result of like that loss. And I kind of came out of it just like, man, life is practice. Um, and so entrusting the process is like also not putting so much pressure on moments to be like a win or a lose, but just more like an opportunity to learn something. And, and, and so for me, that's practice. Practice doesn't feel like if I get it wrong, it's okay. I could do it again. Um, and so practice is the word that like takes the pressure off for me of, of, of looking at moments in the process as a good or bad thing. So entrusting the process I think is, is, for me, it's synonymous with life is practice.
0: Wow, I like that. Um, I want to, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast and you know sharing your story and some of those dark moments, especially in grad school. Um, but I want to ask, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners?
1: Um, man, go to therapy if you need it, and nothing wrong with it. Um, do I think doing the work. Do the work. That's like the only thing I feel like, especially like in the Black community, we like sometimes can hold on to like our achievements um, and be that personal or professional without really doing the personal work that goes along with those things. Um, and so, I if if that means therapy, cool. If it means journaling, if it means you know talking to a, a, a trusted family member or friend about what you're thinking, um, but really to like get to know yourself and do that personal development I think that will make all facets of your life better um and so I just really I really just like to like really really bring that point home like the personal work is so important
0: it is maybe more important than everything else agreed agreed uh, i want to ask uh, where could the listeners find you know your podcast and the things that you have
1: yeah so i'm in these internet streets uh at black and grad school on all the all the all the things so it's blk in grad school um on facebook on twitter on instagram i would love to have you as a part um and if you want to listen to the podcast if you go to whatever your podcast um provider is blk and the plus sign it typically shows up it's black plus in grad school um and my website is also blackandgradschool.com spelled like the social media handles so you can find me all those with base This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth, overcome.
0: Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the
1: process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire
0: change.